you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It is the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Waite, the Fearless Business Coach, and I have got a very esteemed guest with us today. So today, our guest is Dan Chan, the millionaire's mentalist. BuzzFeed profiled him and called him Silicon Valley's favorite magician. He's known for unconventional magic and illusions, including pickpocketing and hacking into iPhones. Uh, and, and Dan, i amazed you've done 330 shows, I think you were saying, I'm off air as well. So welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you, Robin, for having me. It's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, one, I, one of the things I was super curious about when you put your um, application in to come onto the podcast was about how you've translated your fearless attitude into um, business. So, And the two things which got caught my attention, obviously, were skydiving and bungee jumping. So tell us tell us more about um, well, all, all three of those things, skydiving, bungee jumping, and being fearless in business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was told that he who tells the best story in life wins. So I wanted to make my story worth telling. And I thought that doing things like killing rattlesnakes and eating them over a barbecue or swallowing a salmon heart while it's still beating would be interesting topics to talk about. And I wanted to be the most interesting person in the room. (laughs) So literally you did those things just to have interesting stuff to talk about. (laughs) No, to be honest, I did it before I even heard about that. But I thought that what, you know, just being crazy and out there is very interesting and people won't forget you. you I, I feel that you can start off with a gimmick, but later people will know you for who you are. People will get to know you. There's a lot of different aspects that people can hook onto in a story. For example, I worked at PayPal for 13 months alongside Elon Musk and Peter Thiel pre-IPO. I got one for stock options. So that's a story that I pitched to reporters last year when the pandemic hit. I was scared like everyone else. And I pitched everyone on LinkedIn. I in fact, sent at least one day I sent 800 emails. The reason why I know that I sent 800 emails is LinkedIn said you hit your limit. And he says, you have sent 800 emails for the day and we'll pause you for a while. And um, yeah, that was quite interesting. I, I think having those, I call them the thingamajig. That's the thing you put at the top of your profile to grab somebody's attention, but I never used to do it. And then interestingly, since um say on Clubhouse, for example, because all you can see on Clubhouse is somebody's headshot and then their, their biography. Since I changed it around, so I put in my um, uh, Guinness World Records and then uh, the fact I've surfed 15 foot waves and been 52 and a half miles an hour on a push bike, which is about 80 kilometers an hour. Um, the, so many people want to talk to me and get me up on stage. So it, it, it definitely does work. There was a couple of really key things, which like already you've given us about half a dozen things I want to talk to you about, Dan. So um, let, let's go with the, um, the LinkedIn thing first. So sending out 800 messages on LinkedIn in a single day absolutely blows my mind because most of the um, small business owner or business owners out there 
are just um, we've kind of been missold uh, uh, a notion that if we do a tweet, all of a sudden magically we're going to become you know millionaires overnight just by sending out a single tweet. But eight hundred emails. What is it about? Why why did you feel that you had to have sort of such a tenacious approach to your marketing? I lost 8K in one week, which was featured in CNBC, and I was scared. I had a lot saved up, but nothing was coming in for a while, and we had 8K worth of cancellations. So I wanted to be the first in the news, so I got onto Voyage LA, CNBC twice last year, Business Insider, plus ABC7 News, and many other outlets, because I was like, I am going to be there first. <laughs> I, so, yeah. I, I think that's it. Most most people are just um, too afraid as well to kind of put themselves out there, aren't there? And, and you know, you could look at the um, sort of 8K's worth of sales lost as being, some people would see, see that as a perceived failure, but you've been able to turn that around and turn it into a massive win. Yeah, you're going to find safe places to fail. And I started calling people up and doing these one-on-one Zoom shows. I would tell my old clients about what. I was doing and I would offer them shows for free until I was sure that I was worth the $500 that I was charging prior to the pandemic. And then I started doing shows for even more because we were doing these $25 per head all the way up to 200 plus people in a room for half an hour. And that was really interesting because I started realizing magic close up scales. For example, if I were to do something small, like um, this, which I start off some of my shows with, I actually tell people like if they work at working at Google or any other company that you guys are stars. What makes you a star is not just all your hard work, but who you are on the inside. What you do day in and day out molds you into a superstar. And that star is for you. That is so cool. <laughs> So it's so simple as well. A trick like that. I'm the brand ambassador for a corporation saying, thank you for your hard work. We want to appreciate you. And every company doesn't need entertainment. They want to appreciate their staff and having entertainment is that representation. But most people say I can do this versus I'm going to help thank your staff for working so hard because it's once a year or it's once a quarter that they're going to get entertainment and you're the brand ambassador. And I realize that. And that's how come I have a little bit of an edge versus magicians trying to think, Oh, I'm going to do the world's best trick. You don't have to be the world's best magician. You just have to speak to your client. hundred percent, hundred percent. And um, there was another little thing as well, which you kind of said in amongst that, which was um, you're involved at the, the IPO um, at PayPal. So I'm I'm curious to know a little bit more about that as well. I normally save the about you bit for, for further on into the interview, but, um, but you've brought it up now. So I'd love to, I'm sure everybody's dying to hear more about how you were involved with that. Yeah. um, There are lots of people who came out of PayPal that formed companies like Yelp, Stripe, um, Quora, I, I, there's a lot of people who have went on to other companies like YouTube and PayPal was before YouTube. <laughs> PayPal was before a lot of these um, other companies. And I just wish that I kept in contact with them because I didn't know how 
big things were. I kept in contact with like uh, one or two guys who became like ambassadors to other countries, but I didn't know Elon was going to go where he was. <laughs> if, I, if I knew that, I would have shown him a lot more magic tricks in the office um, and he'd probably answer all my emails. <laughs> but I also participated in Airbnb's IPO, which was uh, featured in CNBC's article where they mentioned these Airbnb hosts made 15K in one day. So I realized getting in the door is more important than charging a lot until I had that brand name list from A to Z. I just did anything to get my foot in the door, especially with these corporate clients. And keep going with that because, um, again, like I think there's there's something in this that, um, like you've obviously been like got very clear on exactly who your ideal client is and how you can help them. And again, most business owners kind of go, "Oh, I've got a nice idea for a business," and you know, our family and our friends kind of support us through that and encourage us, but we don't really have much of a plan, especially as small business owners. But it sounds like that sort of um, that that sort of mass outreach has been a, a really important part of your your marketing for your business. I looked. I, I have like ten year plans and goals. So, like before my son was born, I knew I was going to teach him how to juggle. So by age five, he was juggling three balls. By age eight, he was juggling five balls. By age ten, he was juggling three flaming torches, picking pockets. By age twelve, he was just uh, he was on television national television twice and he just got accepted into the magic magic castles junior program which is a prestigious uh, venue and i just found that out minutes ago before we went on the podcast uh, podcast <laughs> um another thing which you talk about as well is um sort of hip, hip not i mean that's absolutely remarkable i, I can't i'm 39 i still can't juggle dan so uh, for your son to go through and do that like that, that like kudos to to him and and also um, for you as well as being, but obviously you've been sort of a major driving force in being able to encourage him to do that. So massive hat tip to you for doing that. Um, there's something which I was going to ask you about. Sort of, you talk about hypnotic marketing. What what is that, and how does that sort of work? I blur the line between what's real and what is magic in certain things, but there is something that I feel that is hypnotic and memorable. Imagine if your competitors or your competitors' families chanted your name on their drive home, which was something that actually happened to me when he kind of cussed me out. He said, my daughter was uh, chanting your name on the way home. Dan Chan, the magic man, has a rhyme and alliteration. Rhymes and alliteration are hypnotic. You notice people like Max Licato in their books have this alliterations that they're using almost overusing it, but a lot of good copywriters will use that as well. So you'll see certain things sometimes. And I've actually noticed that in Grammarly, that they actually sometimes, if two words are similar, they'll actually uh, suggest one that has that alliteration. And that is something that's very interesting. So Dan Chan, Millionaire's Mentalist, Millionaire's Mentalist has that alliteration as well. Uh, gotcha. And People will remember that, especially if it's in your name or your tagline. I've had parents tell me, we, my kids chant your name on the way home. It's a little bit less subtle the way I used to do it, because when I said, everyone say the magic words, everyone would say, I said, I would have them yell out my name, Dan Chan, the magic man. And they would say it six times in the show. 
Because most magicians don't try to do a trick and the trick odor overshadows who they are. I've had people say, oh, I saw this guy make a $1 bill into a $100 bill or something like that. And I'm like, what was his name? I don't remember his name. How do you expect to ever get booked back if people don't remember your name? 100%. It was um, it was really um, bizarre, actually, because um, how, how we kind of first came across each other, albeit I, I, I'm struggling to remember which way around it was now. You've said, just said that, but um, I actually saw you on a good friend of mine, um, mine's mastermind, so Simon Severino. And, and um, I happened to join the call sort of midway through, I think one of your shows that you were doing on, on uh, with, with him. And um, then literally like within about 10 minutes later, your podcast application came through into my inbox. And I was like, just, it was just really weird timing. And, um, you know, I don't know whether that was part of the plan, Dan. <laughs> oh, I got the rhyming in. Does that work? Is that, is that <laughs> good, good marketing? I don't know. Um, but, um, what's my question going to be? But, um, but yes, on, on that front, like how, what other methods are there to kind of make brands more and people more memorable? Because again, the amount of times the small business owners will stand up and would we'll do a 60 second pitch in a networking event. And then, you know, by the time like 20 or 30 people have gone around the room and done their 60 second pitches, I, I can never remember who the first one is. So how do you stand out? For me, I, when I'm teaching entrepreneur, like for example, if um, Bill Gates or um, one of the founders of Google were to ask me how to do a trick, I would frame it in a way like, would you really like to know how many magicians would show them a trick? Probably none. And they think it's all a secret. I would, if it's mine to give, I would teach them a tr one of my tricks or I would just gift them a book and say, hey, would you uh, would you like this book? Or I'll just ship them, uh, uh, get their address and ship them that book. What other magician would do that? Now I have founders who are connected to me because they're like, wow, that magician, at, you know, gave freely. That is why companies like Google have hired me over 40 times. It's because this go-giver attitude that I have, that I, I saw from Bob Berg and many of the other uh, influencers out there. But it is not about the trick. It's more about the value you give and the network that you get into. And with that said, I used to go to these really high profile people's parties. I did parties for Tim Ferriss of the four hour work week, four times, George Lucas, John Madden, and many other people. But when I would go into their houses, I would look at their libraries and I would ask for permission. And I would say, can I take a picture of your library? And I would look at what were the common books on their bookshelf. And there were a lot of common books. Which, which were the most common ones which you saw? Um, I, I don't remember now, like right now, I think it's Ray Dalio's principles. Yeah. Great uh, book. That's, that's, uh, my, that's my favorite, but I also saw it on there. I, I saw him at a book signing in San Francisco, um, at Moscone center. He was just giving away free books as a part of, um, I forgot it was, it might've been Salesforce, the Dreamforce. So it's it's an, an interesting concept i mean i you know obviously I've, I've written a few books myself and um the amount of time other authors um will come to me for advice to talk about what you know i want to write a business book you know how much should i actually give away in the book because obviously i want people to come and do business with me and i always tell them exactly the same answer 
give the whole lot away. Give, give your entire, if you have a seven step process, like give away all seven steps, because at the end of the day, one of the things which most people are always going to struggle with is the implementation, the taking action and the accountability and the implementation. And as a, as a coach or a service provider or a freelancer, like that's why they're always going to come back to you. And actually the, there are business owners out there who have, for example, read Take Your Shot and they've been able to apply the principles and, you know, straight away gone out and doubled or trebled their turnover off the back of it. And I'm like, brilliant. We don't, we don't have to work together now. The only reason why we might work together is because you really want to work together. And that, that for me is always, you know, a, a much better way to kind of build um, a relationship. And I, I remember a, um, a client once who, um, they, he had a very successful business. Again, he didn't necessarily, he didn't really need a coach. I, and I said that to him, but one of the things we talked about, he was kind of like, well, listen, you must've got to where you're at now in terms of your leadership because of something which you're doing. What is it? I said, I read books. Okay. Well, what books would you recommend for me? And there were, there were three audio books, which I'd recently got my, my, my ears sort of into. And, um, and he said, oh, I don't listen. I don't have like audible setups. I was like, oh, I don't, you've got an iPhone, have you? And he's like, yeah, yeah. I was like, do you do driving? Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. So I, cr- I credited the guy three audible credits. I just set, sent them as, them as a gift. And I said, here's the links to the three books. And do you know what? He signed up just on, on the, the, you know, that one thing where I did that. I, I saw this and thought of you sort of idea. Um, and like the go-giver, Bob Berg, you mentioned that, you know, is one of the best books out there, in my opinion, um, you know, about, about around sort of building that trust um, in, in advance. But um, also I think as well for you, though, it sounds like the, the depth of, um, uh sort of the efforts that you've been able to go to from a marketing perspective like dig deep and send out all of those invitations to you know 800 emails a day so it's like i said it's not just about who it is that you're connecting with but it's the volume as well that you're able to connect with the map yeah uh, one thing is i found recently found a tool called scalex.ai and the guy, guy who owns that chad burmeister he's brilliant he has guys like Tiger Woods PR guy who just created a campaign for me. And he, 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 he's so brilliant. He wrote this thing out when we were out on this retreat, which is um, living a better story. And if you have the financial resources to go there, you should totally go to a live, living a better story. He, he has this um, one aspect. He wrote enchanting experience or enchant enchanting. And then with that enchanting, he highlighted the C-H-A-N, which is my last name. Uh. And I created something on Freelancer and I created a contest where the graphic looks just absolutely beautiful. And you're going to see that in my marketing because, again, when we were talking about will people remember you, people want enchanting, but then that name plays a lot into it. Now it's enchanting an enchanting experience with the Chan family. And we have different variations with it. One guy was doing experience enchantment and everything played out visually because we're such visual creatures. Most people are plugging the old things, which are great to build credibility, but now everyone has a book. So, and everyone has a podcast. And I feel that all these things that you're doing now are the right things with these audio sound bites and the hybrid model of having a video segment because there's just too many people doing podcasts. So having that works when you're driving. But for example, if I were to show you that magic trick earlier, it would be lost in translation, Yeah. right? 
And what I'm hoping people to do, like maybe the next time I come on is we can use OBS or use those clips and you can actually play an intro video. And then you can describe that and say, Hey, if you're listening to this via audio, go on to uh, Robin's YouTube channel and which builds subscribers for you. And you can build those multi-channel places where people can connect with you. Because I think podcasting is dated and I truly believe in a, a new platform, probably not YouTube because there's so many other contents, but a platform like the store on Apple for video, video podcast. Cause I think that there's no place for that. Those, uh, that, the repository, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm struggling to find those words. <laughs> that, that repository. Hey, if you, if you don't build it, I'm going to Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll and have think, the JV on it. <laughs> I think there's a uh, people out there. Someone was asking me this question on Quora and I'm one of the thought leaders on Quora because I've got so many upvotes and I'm sharing, but someone was saying, I have a great idea and I want to sell it to Uber. And that was the impetus for me giving away a lot of my ideas to companies. And recently with Quora, Airbnb, and I participated in Airbnb's IPO. And I'm not sure if it was because I got recognized internally and I was performing, but I was one of the early Airbnb hosts even before they went on virtual. And uh, I was granted 200 shares at the IPO price of, I think, $68. And now it's close to $200. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, I'm I'm not a massive investor, but that, uh, Airbnb is one of the one of the investments which I've currently got as well. So, um, and I I think we you know with the advent of sort of um, I don't know what it's like sort of where you are, but um, here in the UK, Airbnb is going to be absolutely massive over the next 12, 24 months, just purely on the basis that people can't travel. Uh, but we we digress. Um, yes. There were some amazing tools which you mentioned in there. Um, stick, what was it? Scalex.io? Did you say? Uh, scalex.ai scalex.ai sorry yeah so it's an, it's an ai tool but um yeah and also it's it's on the marketing front you know um in terms of tools so i mentioned one earlier on called clubhouse which believe it or not is an audio only platform and it's kind of like we've gone back almost back a step in a way with with clubhouse now twitter spaces has come online i think facebook zuckerberg was on clubhouse the other day and facebook are now thinking about doing their own audio only version of sort of um sort of chat rooms i guess you would call them um and i, I think there's there's huge legs in that um and one of the reasons why i i've for example, with um, and like you do it as well with all of your marketing, the reason I go to town with the video and the snippets and all of the different sort of stuff within the podcast is because I know that most of the people out there who start a podcast get to episode seven of audio only and they don't go any further than that because it is a shit ton of effort to get all of this sort of, you know, built, produced, edited, published and all the rest of it as well, you know. And I think that's what makes business owners especially kind of stand out. Yeah, it is very difficult and competitive in the podcasting market space, but I've seen um, a lot of what you've been doing and it, it's spot on. And that's why I pitched you. And you asked, was that part of my strategy? When I am on a call, like with angel investors and I'm performing for them, I did this event where I was on, I took a screenshot and I, a lot of times you're bored. So while we were on that Simon event, literally I took screenshots of everything, every page on there, 
your name was on there. I looked you up. I found out you had a podcast. I immediately pitched you. And that's the reason it wasn't a coincidence that I ended up on your podcast. (laughs) I took a screenshot and I researched you immediately following the show. And I sent you that pitch immediately. I'm I'm very honored and very humbled that you picked me out as well out of the group. But um, gosh, I'm totally losing my train of thought here, Dan. I don't know what's going on. You're not doing any mentalism on me at the moment, are you? I can neither confirm nor deny. Or deny, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, how did you get into magic in the first place? How did that all start? The typical, you go to the magic shop, but you go down that rabbit hole. But when your parents tell you to stop spending money, you keep on doing it. And you start meeting your heroes and you start realizing they're willing to share if you give them the respect that they want. And you just keep on going down that rabbit hole. I went to conventions. I read books, DVDs, and I might even come up with a course because people have been asking me about how do I do magic? And there's so many resources out there, but most of them are junk. Like I have spent so much, but I only use a certain set. And when I retire certain things, I retire them and give them to my students. And I tell them save time and money by creating, following my system. So I tell people like when I teach certain principles, I teach all of them at once within a very specific framework. So you don't end up spending lots of money buying the same trick again and again, because I'm kind of like a little bit, (laughs) I've been fooled by the same trick, just different variations. And I'm like, how the hell did that fool me? I'm like, I watched this thing on AGT and I'm like, two months later, I'm talking to other magicians. I'm like, you know, that principle, it's this. I'm like, really? How does that work? And it's just one minor tweet. Believe it or not, most people think that magic is this elusive thing. It's all based on the same principle. But if I twist one little thing, which I actually do in the med talks, I show them a principle. I explain how it works. I fool them with it first. Then I show them another trick and I fool them with the same principle again. And I do another trick and some people start catching on and they're like, oh, I didn't realize that this has so many applications. So I could draw the dots for them and I connect the dots Uh, And I love how Ralph Dewey, we were talking about his podcast. Yeah. You join up the dots for people. A lot of people don't see it because they see A to D. But when I start telling you everything that happened in between, people realize I did not do anything that was risky. People are like, oh, it must have been risky doing magic. I took everything step by step and I followed a formula that I'm and I had a map of where I wanted to go. For example, the client list that you see on my website from A to Z, from Airbnb, Apple to Google to Zillow. Literally, I have almost every single letter of the alphabet of a recognizable company. If you go to my website, millionairesmentalist.com, you'll see every single major corporation. And I targeted them strategically. Some of them, I went to LinkedIn and I searched the company name then I went to people and then I searched events and I sent them a direct message. It was as simple as that. The other thing is I also use the paid tools. I used LinkedIn paid sales navigator, which gets you in a lot of inbox. I do not believe for how long I was always the cheapest person. And I did not do like the paid chess.com or pay. Oh, if you can afford to use those paid tools. It will accelerate your learning curve. But those people who can afford to typically make it a lot further. Like I have paid Grammarly. I have paid chess.com, Duolingo. I have all these things. And I 
I wish I started paying for Duolingo earlier. I wish I started paying for Grammarly earlier. And that has made all the difference. I wish I paid for coaching earlier as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you said, that. you know, I, I, I actually, cause I only started coaching about five years ago, funny enough. And, um, I had a marketing agency for 12 years before that. And for ages I thought, no, I know what I'm doing. I got this. And then about five years into the marketing agency, I realized I didn't have it at all. I had no idea what I was doing. And that's the point where we took on our first mentor and away we went. So did you have a, do you have a mentor on the, um, on the magic side of things as well? Uh, everyone you could hear of, I've taken snippets of their philosophy and I've made, uh, taken just one bit. Like, for example, I believe Michael Weber says he who tells the best story in life wins. And I think that helped me with all my publicity. I also studied from the basics of easy to master with Michael Amar. I learned manipulation with Jeff McBride on his DVD sets. I took workshops with him. I did dove magic for, with Tony Clark. I studied with Apollo Robbins, who is very, very famous as a pickpocket. He had the TED Talks. Um, he showed me stuff personally when I went to meet him in Las Vegas. So any of the top names, um, I, I know who they are. I know who's in the industry. And I've um, done my research to find out who the consultants were to blame, David Copperfield. I know everyone in the industry. Uh, so when I have a question, I can get that question answered and I can just hire a consultant. Amazing. What would you say? So have you, have you always made money for magic or what have you, have you ever had to any other jobs to kind of supplement your, your income, so to speak? Yeah. PayPal was 13 months, but I started, I think I got paid $32,000 a year, 20 years ago at PayPal pre IPO. I got stock options, but I started off in customer service, but I had a finance degree. And quickly after that, I told them that they put me in their finance department, but I was doing check deposits at Silicon Valley Bank every day. For example, when we verify your account, we would put in 14 cents and one cent. People thought that they had to pay us back. So we would get these envelopes with coins in them and checks. <laughs> and you're not supposed to pay us back for it. So I had to make the spreadsheet and I would log everything. And I would credit to their account because we are technically a bank and we have to, we have a fiduciary responsibility. I'm like, we should have wrote something in there saying that, you know, <laughs> this is your gift. And they're wasting so much work. And I was the one person doing that every day. Do, do you know what? There's probably a whole, whole gamut of people out there who've got like, um, uh, what is it? OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. And like, they've got these random payments and they're like, oh no. But I can't, I can't have the, that. They had to send it back to you so that everything was back to zero again <laughs> in their mind. <laughs> yeah, it, it, they had, it was a very interesting time at PayPal. And I realized that um, I, I was making more. And then I ended up going to the Coast Guard at one time um, as a reservist because I got burnt out doing magic. At that time, I probably did 3,000 plus shows. And I was like... Wow. I, I just need to take a, a short break. I, I love teaching sailing, windsurfing, and I was a lifeguard. I worked at four different summer camps when I was in college before I was full-time magician. But in college, I worked as a ski instructor. So I always believed in having lots of fun, fun jobs. I wanted to be a lifeguard, but my mom told me, you, you're not allowed to be that. So I said, okay, <laughs> I, I just wanted to be a, a, like a beach bum. So it <laughs> sounds fun. What was the yeah. point where you were like, actually, I, I can do this full time. I did the math. 
it's a simple math. I saw that magicians were making, you know, minimum 200, $250 a show for an hour's worth of work. And I was like, I can do that. And then I found out like some magicians were making like a thousand dollars an hour. I'm like, are you kidding me? I could do some of that. And I just said, that's my goal. I want to be able to charge those dollars. And that came like another 10 years later down the road, but it ended up happening. It just, I needed to learn the soft skills and be mature and understand all the marketing side and how to build relationships. So it was interesting because magic was the thing that I did that made the most money, but whenever I get burnt out, I'll get a side job. Like I I've been a stage, which means a helper at restaurants. And I want to open up a Michelin rated restaurant, um, that, or a magic club, like a hybrid of where people will come to see, see it like a magic castle. So that's my next goal is you have to have really big audacious goals. I'll tell you one of the last things I'm really proud of. We just won uh, a film festival award. Um, we, we, we submitted, uh, for a documentary and you can see this, uh, very nice Emmy like award. Yeah, if you go to, nice. uh, Robin's, uh, YouTube channel, which you can check that out. Looks like an Emmy or looks like a really nice award, but I submitted for the pinnacle film awards and we got one best of show. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. Pe people told me that it would cost a hundred thousand dollars or more to make a documentary. So I said to myself, what can I do? And I started looking for talented people. I made a documentary in two days on a budget of $550. Wow. When P and I have this email that specifically telling me this is what's realistic. And I created a really professional quality. And I, I, I just wanted to tell the guy who hired me like, Hey, I produced this, but you can do it. A lot of people make excuses or they don't do research. They don't realize what's out there, but sometimes these goals will take you a long time to get. And if you miss a goal, people are often disappointed. I wanted to get on juggle magazine, magic magazine, and uh, balloon magic magazine for my wife. My wife makes these awesome life-size balloon sculptures. Some of these Google CEOs have paid like 1200 plus dollars for a balloon sculpture, like an airplane. But the, my point is I'm digressing is I never made it into those three publications, but I made it into business insider twice, CNBC twice, wall street journal, the hustle and all those. So I, it was even better because who knows, maybe if I hit my goal there, I would have stopped about pitching media. <laughs> so these disappointments, you can translate over time. You have to set these big audacious goals and let them translate. And whether it takes five or 10 years, you still make steps toward that. I do not like the way I speak or I did not like the way I spoke. So I just forced myself to go onto so many podcasts. And now I love the way that I sound. And I feel so confident when I listen to myself, even though there's a lot of imperfection, I realized it's just about getting started. Well, I, I don't hear any imperfection there, Dan, at all. What I hear is a very humble, like very honest guy, very hardworking guy. And do you know, it's, it's funny because there's a lot of people who um, would see, uh, uh, and please don't judge me on what I'm about to say here, Dan, but they would see going and working in a, um, I can't remember what the role you said, but going and working in a bar, for example, or going and working in a, in a 
restaurant as beneath them, especially if they've been trying to, if they're, if they're running a business. And I like the fact that you're so humble. You were like, you know, actually I'm going to, I need to be doing, you need to be doing something, but um, you would go and do sort of jobs like that. And, you know, we've all done it. I've, I've been out and worked in bars and things like that. But, um, and I, I think as well, like probably um, we shouldn't underestimate the power of like the work, which you do, you're using this all of the time. And that is very tiring and very exhausting. And sometimes you do need to just switch off, you know, uh, even, even the work, which I do as a coach, which I thoroughly enjoy. There's times when I'm just like, I'm coached out. I can't, you can't put string the words together. You can't think about what the next step is for your client or where you need to go from there. And, and that is one of the best marketing is when you hit that point, you charge two X or 10 X. There was one point in time. So we're talking about fearless. I was very conservative in my pricing at the beginning, but now I started figuring out tips, tools, and techniques for charging more. And that's, I think that's something that will really resonate with the audience is how do you charge more? Well, when you have X number of people already booking you, just raise the rates for the rest and say it's a busy season. Most magicians fail because they post their rates publicly. If it's if if no one's booking me right now, I will do a five hundred dollar kid's birthday party, typically with my son. But if nothing's going on, I'm not going to be charging two thousand five hundred. You know, but a lot of people can't keep that pipeline in when you're an entrepreneur. When you get more people knocking at your door, you continue to raise your rates. And I had this thing called a standby rate, which was really interesting because I started building the celebrity um, profile that people were like, oh, you're Dan Chan. We've heard about you. We've seen so many things. So I said, if you want me, it's X. If you want someone else, it's this price. But I also have a standby rate. So at one time I was charging $1,250 in a holiday season. Another person called and said, Hey, we want you, but another, you know, the first person wanted to send in a check, but they didn't send it in. So I said to the next person, I quoted four X, which was $5,000. I said, I already have another client waiting to send in a check and they're just dragging their feet. It's a sure thing. You book me next year, I'll lock you in for 1250. And then he said, we want you this year. And I said, well, if you want me this year, it'll be five grand. And I had nothing to lose <laughs> by quoting that high, but it's interesting as things build up as entrepreneurs, you can have flexible pricing or discount. You can always lower your price, but you can't raise your price after quoting it. So when someone calls me, I'll say I have a price range from X to X. When they're like, oh, what was about the $500? Oh, well, that's a standby rate. That means that I have the option to send you someone else. But often if someone booked my standby rate, I would hire someone at the thousand or thousand five hundred dollar rate because I wanted to protect my brand image. So I'd pay the difference and I could quote really, really high. So my friends were really happy working for me. So that was um, one of the many strategies that I, I implemented. Uh, you're speaking my language there, especially when it comes to pricing. Like first thing I always say to every business owner is take your prices off your website because there's plenty of people out there who haven't been exposed to your pricing yet. And if you know it's it's just basic like business, supply meets demand. If there's if if supply is massively sorry, demand is massively outstripping supply, 
you can just put your price up like absolutely no problem. And But it's the fear kicks in for most business owners because they think, oh, if I put my price up that much, nobody's going to buy it at those rates. But what I've discovered is that, um, you know, if, if like you said, if there's a bit of scarcity there, um, you know, uh, to, whether it's time or, you know, actually your ability to be able to deliver when they want you, well, that's, you know, they have to pay a premium um, to have, to, to, you know, for that privilege, basically. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all over it when it comes to pricing. I totally get what you're saying there. Yeah, when I first started working for Tim Ferriss, he, he negotiated with me because his book was launching and it was, it was really low. But later, as people saw value, they'll, you can raise your rates. When I first started working for Google, I was a budget entertainer. But later I started going a lot higher because I was like, wow, that's Google. Another, you know, it doesn't help me after the first time I've got their logo. I'm like, I performed for Google already. And I got like to 25 or 40 times. And I was like, man, this is boring. I'd rather make a music video or I'd rather make a documentary. Let me do something different. And if they want me, they're going to have to pay a premium. And sometimes someone will tell me, Hey, like a celebrity will tell me, Hey, will you do this? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll, I'll even do it for free to be honest. But, and they'll say, Oh, this is great publicity. When influencers call me out and say, Hey, we're going to do something exchange to promote you, or they tell me what they're going to do. Of course, that rate's going to come down. And I find every reason to work with the clients that I would love to work with. And David Blaine had this thing that I read about him. He has a $1 rule. I say to myself, would I do this for $1? If I, if the question is yes, I'll do it for any rate, even if I have to pay to go out there. So recently I was flown out. Well, I, I, I flew out to Powder Mountain to do the show um, or Huntsville, Utah. And they covered my ski lift, my hotel and all my meals. And I paid my own airfare. Often cl clients will say, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to treat you like royalty. I'm going to take it. I've taken events in Germany, Shanghai, Las Vegas, Japan four times. And now that we're doing everything locally, uh, I, I mean, virtually, and I can stay home locally with my family. I've been doing gigs, you know, $500 virtual shows at, for an hour's worth of time. And now I'm global. So that's why I'm going on this whole global podcast tour. <laughs> yeah. Got to be done. Got to be done. We're, uh, we're coming to the top of the hour, which means that we are going to have to wrap up very shortly, Dan. I could literally talk with you all day long because I'm just so fascinated about kind of um, uh, the work which you do, but also the, the um, veracity, the tenacity, which you kind of um, have shown from a, from just a pure business perspective to get all of those what 330 um, performances I think which you said you've booked over the last 12 months which is absolutely staggering um, I'm just absolutely blown away by that so um, you we've obviously I did mention it earlier on I think but we've, you've got your um, shows coming up which are uh, via Airbnb I've included the um, the link in the show notes already as well so we'll make sure everybody sees that but if anybody wants to pick up the conversation with you Dan what's the best way to um, to do that uh, you can go to my website, millionairesmentalist.com. Excellent. And it's a plural, Millionaires Mentalist. Cool. Perfect. We'll make sure we share a link to that as well in the show notes. So final question, Dan, and then we're going to wrap up. So um, we're going to jump into the um, fearless business time machine. It's a bit like the DeLorean on Back to the Future, but better, I think, in my opinion. Uh, so you get to punch in the date and we're going to go back to that date and you're going to have a word with Dan back then. So what year is it and what would you say to him? 
Um, stay at PayPal and get, to, uh, this is in uh, close to 2000. Um, make sure you uh, talk to that guy named Elon Musk and all the other guys who um, uh, founded YouTube and uh, Yelp and many of the other companies, because these guys are going to be very influential. Uh, show them magic tricks and stop, um, stop goofing off at PayPal and work a little bit harder <laughs> and stay there for four years instead of just uh, one year. Well, yeah, but then I, I think you mentioned this yourself, but like, you know, had, had you stayed there for four years, life would have probably looked quite different. And would you be where you are now with all of the knowledge that you've had to build up through hustle and hard work, you know, in order to get there? So I, I think we've got a better version of Dan than we would have had if that had happened. I actually think that if I raised my rates when I was at PayPal and then, you know, charged a lot more when I was at PayPal, maybe I could have had a premium instead of just doing all the kid shows. Because when I was at PayPal, I was doing a lot of kid shows, but maybe if I charged a lot more, instead of being fearful about pricing, I, I actually looked at things as low hanging fruit. And I looked at SWOT analysis and Porter's five forces. And I realized how competitive it was. I wanted to be in there so badly. So I don't know, not sure it, but it, I just wish that <laughs> Elon Musk would return my phone calls and things like that. You know, that would have been cool if I showed them more magic and, uh, and really did, did a better job at PayPal because, um, it would have been more interesting, I think. <laughs> well, <laughs> potentially, me. yeah, the guy's busy. It would have been like, a better story for sure. <laughs> He's been busy digging holes and putting launching space shuttles and all sorts of fun stuff like that. So crazy, yeah. crazy guy. Um, it's interesting. I was, um, this is a total side note, but um, I, I love what you're saying about pricing. But uh, a friend of mine who um, did some work, he, had a, he took on a personal trainer because he needed to lose some weight. And he paid the personal trainer, this is about uh, five years ago or six years ago or something like that, paid him in Bitcoin. So for, for a year's worth of PT work, and apparently that those Bitcoins are now worth 100K. I mean, he had a, he had a shit ton of Bitcoin, so it didn't really matter to him. He was just like, and he, but he told the PT, he said, don't spend it, keep it. And yeah, in today's money, it's worth about $100,000. So uh, maybe what you should do is when you do um, work with, um, you know, if when, when Elon picks up the phone, you should say, Hey, remember that one and a half billion dollars in Bitcoin you, you bought? Hey, send some my way. I'll do a few shows for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll take cryptocurrency for uh, performance, although I'm not a big, to be honest, I'm not a big cryptocurrency bull. I, I, I would still take it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> knowing how much I missed out because I think people offered me a lot of things that I turned down in the early days. And uh, I kind of wish I didn't. <laughs> uh, well, we, I think we've all been there. So don't worry. Yeah. Don't worry, Dan. Awesome. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on, Dan. It's, it's been awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Robin. Thank you.